Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. I'm so excited to be joined today by Rob Moore. Rob is a best-selling author, a world record holder, multi-millionaire property investor and also runs the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, which is a number one top downloads on iTunes and is an absolutely fantastic podcast. I actually listened to him and he helped really influence uh, my career and my decision to move on as an entrepreneur too. So please enjoy today's episode. I was so excited to have Rob on. Thank you. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and I'm here with Pete Rushma, um, who has a great podcast called A Half Dozen Things. Pete, it's a pleasure to be on your show, um, so I would definitely recommend everyone listen to Pete's podcast, A Half Dozen Things. And Pete's concept really is, what six things do you define as successful? Um, you know, What six things do you define as most meaningful for you? And I thought, well, I'm going to try and answer this a bit differently and maybe some non-standard answers. And Pete also said, look, do you want to um, you know, do a bit of preparation? Should we talk about what you answer? And I said, no, because I wanted to, to, to be more intuitive. I could plan the most, the six most um, important things in success, or I could allow it to come, you know, from my being. So, Pete, I'm all yours. Thanks for having me on your show. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And um, I'm absolutely buzzing to have you on here. And, and also, thank you for shouting out our, my podcast, A Half Dozen Things, as well. I really, really appreciate it. Rob, when, uh, when I first embarked on my business, Flagship Partners, sort of two years ago, um, I, uh, I was listening to the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast and it's helped influence me so much over the past two years to be able to sort of interview you now has just been absolutely incredible, really. So just to sort of get straight into it, really, what would be your half dozen things? Or do you want to start with thing one and work our way through? Uh, which works best for you? Um, yeah. So do you mean half dozen things that are most important when you define success and you know, where you would focus on to what grow your business or to be a successful person. That's that's right. Yeah. So uh, actually, that, that's kind of the beauty of the of, of the premise of the podcast. So I came up with it actually at the beginning of lockdown. I knew that I'd wanted to do a podcast for a period of time, but I was reading Jim Rohn's book, uh, Seven Strategies for Health, Success and Happiness. And in the, in the book, there was just this quote, which is, if people focus on the six areas for them, uh, so that may be business success or it may be personal success. If they focus on those six areas and it'll be different for each individual, then um, that that will propel them moving forward. So we can keep it much simpler than maybe how complex people try and make it. So that was that was sort of the, the background for the podcast. Okay, right. So I'll try and do this in order. Okay. Um, and I like being put on the spot, so that's good. I like <laughs> to challenge myself. So definitely 
Uh, and I have changed my tune on this over the years, Pete, but it might be indicative of me moving into my 40s now. Health has to be number one. Um, and as an entrepreneur, we can often put our, our health behind our wealth or our health behind, you know, the, the hustle or, or, or business. And I think when you're 50 and you get diagnosed with cancer or you're 55 and you burn out or you lose your passion or you have no energy, I think you're going to regret that. And um, you, look, you never know what's around the corner. I feel like I'm a pretty healthy guy. I work out every day pretty much. Um, yeah, I could probably eat a little bit better, but I'm doing all right. But um, health of the mind as well as health of the body, because I think the body and mind you know, we sort of tend to separate them, don't we? We say the body and the mind. Well, I, um, Joe Dispenza calls it the body-mind, and, and I, I don't separate them because I actually think you can feel the most unhealthy when you um, have got really negative, stressful thoughts. So I think our health is our mindset and, and our well-being and our mental wellness and, you know, our physical exercise and energy. And I know I'm sounding old here, um, but I think that health is wealth. Warren Buffett says compounding and good genes is what have been the two greatest factors in his success. And what he means by good genes is living till he's 85 and still having, you know, good thought processes, good energy. So people always say to me, Rob, where do you get your energy from? You have loads of energy. Uh, you know, I work hard to maintain really good, consistent energy, which this is important as well. Pete, I rest well now. I didn't rest as well in my 20s. I rest well. I get lots of sleep. I allow myself to relax and watch. I watch quite a lot of Netflix, actually. And in my 20s, I'd have been like, TV is for losers, unless it's an autobiographical documentary. But now I just finished Queen's Gambit, which was brilliant. I love normal people. Um, yeah, I love billions. I, I, I think it's really important. I interviewed Robin Sharma on my podcast. And he said, actually, now the top performers aren't just the ones who perform the best. They're the ones who recover the quickest and recover mm -hmm. the best. And this is why you're seeing Cristiano Ronaldo in his mid to late 30s still playing really well at football. And the Williams sisters and, you know, some of the top ranked tennis players are in their mid to late 30s, which you never used to see because mm -hmm. they're getting this now about wellness and mental well-being. Um, mm -hmm. My dad's got bipolar and sort of kind of extreme high low emotions are in my family for sure my sister's mm. like that i probably not as much but i am like that so i would say health is number one because if i want to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life and i'm going to have the most deep impact the most positive change the biggest business and the most money if i can do this for another 55 years because i'm going to get compounding which is what warren buffett meant yeah. so that would be the first thing i, love I think that. i think the second thing would be um, doing what you love. Now, uh, it is a choice, and you can spend the rest of your life turning your passion into your profession, your uh, vacation into your vocation, or vice versa. You really can love what you do and do what you love and monetize your message and your mission and your passion. Um, now, I don't want to get this confused with oh, I only want it to be easy and I only want to do what I, I love and I want to avoid all problems and I don't have to deal with any shit because you have to deal with shit too. That's just the way it goes. You don't get the baby without the labor pains. But definitely the second thing is, are you doing something that is meaningful to you, that you have energy, enthusiasm, desire, drive, hunger, momentum, persistence, consistency, relentlessness, enthusiasm? If you can't wake up every day with all of those things in your um, job or your career, 
which let's be honest, what do you do the most in your life? Probably sleep. What do you do the second most in your life? Probably work, you know, beyond like 18. So the thing that you do the second most in your life, or maybe the first most, if you're doing something you don't like and you're selling your soul, then, and actually that could lead to stress, which could to lead to, you know, um, the, the diminishing returns of health, which is the first one. I am, I feel really lucky and really fortunate. I love what I do. I love writing books. I love doing podcasts. I love being interviewed. I love doing interviews. I love making money. I love being an entrepreneur. I've just been made a board member of the Prince's Trust. I'm doing a Young Entrepreneur Summit. I love giving back. I love working with, on my foundation. I love hiring staff. You know, a lot of people say, oh, staff, fucking pain in the ass. I hate fucking having staff. Don't want to manage anyone. I love having staff. I'd love to have a thousand staff. I'd love to have a million staff. Because then I've got a million people to work for me, which means I don't have to do the jobs. But I've got a million people to share the wins in, and I've got a million people to help me when it's going wrong. So I, I, I love having staff. I get enthusiastic about it. Um, and things are easier when you're passionate about it, even passionate about the challenges and the problems. This week, um, last week was an awesome week. And because last week was an awesome week, I knew this week would be a shit week because that's just life. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean, challenges. all this week, things have been breaking. And I'm like, I'm fixing it with a smile. I'm fixing it with a smile. I'm fixing it with a smile. I just did this little Facebook post recently, which is, Fix it, fucked, fix it, fucked, fix it, fucked, fix it, fucked, repeat. That is basically what being an entrepreneur is. You fix it, it's fucked. You fix it, it's broken. You fix it, it's broken. And so you've got to, if you haven't got passion for it, <laughs> then you, you've lost before you start. So that would be the that. second thing. Yeah, love that. Fantastic. I think the third thing would be a mission. So, you know, how are you going to change the world? What's your message? You know, what's your disruption? What is your enterprise? That passion that you're turning into a profession, how does it serve people? How does it solve the world's meaningful problems? How are you um, creating a business around it, monetizing it, scaling it? So my mission is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education. And then my foundation does that, especially with young and underprivileged entrepreneurs. So that's my mission. And that comes through the books, the podcasts, the interviews, the the live content, the courses that I run, my training companies, the, you know, the hundreds of properties that I own and develop. And, you know, it's very important to have a vision and a mission, something to move towards, something to focus on, something to stop you getting um, overwhelmed or distracted or losing focus or direction. And I think it gives your life some meaning. And I think it's really important to have meaning. So we've got um, health, passion, mission. Yep. I think the next thing is contribution. So um, human beings, we are, um, we are interdependent. We need each other. You know, you're a butcher, I'm a baker. You need my bread, I need your meat. We need the candlestick maker. We need the ironmonger. You know, we need to cook the cleaner, the bottle washer. We are interdependent as a species. You know, even mm -hmm. as babies, I believe human beings as babies are the most vulnerable. Basically, we're useless when we're babies, we can't do anything. Whereas in most of the animal world, the baby has to survive as soon as it kind of, you know, is born because of, you know, how um, you just get eaten. So um, we are very dependent on our parents, on our friends, on our environment, on our in our social circles. And I think that's the reason that it feels really good to, to give and to be valuable. And I love making money. Don't get me wrong. And if you hear an entrepreneur saying it's not about the money, hmm, I think they're just, you know, a bit of PR there. I think, you know, you, you got to love making money. And if you don't want to make money, do it as a hobby. Um, I love making money, but I love helping people more. And let me ask you this, uh, everyone watching. Um, 
what would make you feel better? Uh, making 100 quid or um, let's say there was a granny who was trying to walk um, across the road. She fell over and a, and a car was getting near her uh, and you helped her along and, you know, you, you took her home and you made her a cup of tea and you sort of sorted her out. Because that would make me feel a lot. It's a shit analogy, but you know what I mean? That would make me feel a lot better than 100 quid. Um, yeah. You know, it makes me feel better to give £10,000 from my foundation than it is to make £10,000 myself because, you know, £10,000 is not so much money to me anymore. Um, and, and I believe that your contribution is vital. And I believe that um, I used to think being a millionaire and then a billionaire, that was, you know, that was success. Um, and, and, you know, and that was how you showed the world what you've got and what you're about. But actually, I don't think people were when you're dead, no one will remember how much money you made. They won't care. But they they will remember the contribution and the value and the service and the difference that you made. And by the way, yes, you could do that on a global scale, but you also do that one to one. So every day I try and do random acts of kindness. I put in my diary DNTs as well as KRAs and IGTs. So anyone who's read Life Leverage, KRAs are key result areas. IGTs are income generating tasks. But DNTs are do nice things. And every day I try and do nice things. I don't go and tell the whole world about it or put it on my social media. But every day I try and help people make recommendations, connections, promote stuff without them, without charging them, give them shout outs, give them leg ups, solve their problems, do one to one calls. Amazing. So that would be the fourth thing. Amazing stuff. Yep. Uh, right. The fifth thing I'm going to say is marketing. So I believe that the source of all revenue in business and the most important function in any business is marketing. Um, and I believe that, um, let's use the analogy of a shop. Um, if you had a shop, you could have the best stock like Alexander McQueen or Versace or Armani in the shop. You could have the best salesperson in the shop when you go in and you go in for a shirt and then you end up buying a whole wedding suit you know, and two changes of clothes and shoes and watch and everything. You can have that. You can have the best technology and the security systems and the best shop fit out. But if no one goes in the shop, that shop is nothing. It has no customers. So sales is selling once someone's in the shop. But marketing is getting people in the shop. Um, and so marketing is the most important function of a business. And a lot of people don't realize that. And they're focused on having a great product or being a great consultant or coach or trainer or having a good podcast or whatever. But they don't, you know. Would you rather have the best podcast in the world and one listener or a good podcast and a million listeners? I'd rather have a good podcast and a million listeners, to be honest, because I would make it better. But, Definitely. you know, it, it, it sort of it exists in a vacuum if it doesn't have any, any listeners. And then the sixth thing I'm going to say is your ability to solve problems and deal with challenges. So, um, yeah, I, I believe that one of the purposes of evolution, therefore humanity, is growth. And I believe to grow, we need to endure challenge, you know, like the, you know, the, um, the pressure of carbon creates the diamond. And mm -hmm. when we're under um, pressure and stress, often we experience the most, the most amount of growth. We get the greatest lessons when we're under the greatest challenge. Or you could argue the, the border of support and challenge equally. So I believe, you know, challenge, which creates evolution, learning, constant and never ending improvement. Because otherwise life gets boring. Otherwise you don't make any progress. So the ability to learn and improve and develop and evolve and embrace challenge, I'd say that's the sick. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, that's a... No script. 
<laughs> that's incredible you've just absolutely smashed it out of the park and i love what you're saying about uh, the final one with ability to solve problems because one of the I, I live by this equation e plus r equals o have you come across e is the event so you can't control an event but you can yeah. re control r which is your response or your ability to respond which then controls the result which is the outcome so you can right. you can affect the outcome uh i, I think that's uh fascinating Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so with regards to um, the, 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 the first area with health, I, I really resonated with that, Rob. Uh, thank you. Because when uh, when I was younger, I was really, really poorly. I was uh, uh, on, on a life support machine when I was 18. And uh, it was really, really had, um, I really struggled particularly with my mental health afterwards. But that's kind of driven me towards the passion which we do now. And one of the things that we do is, is mental health training. And um, I find that so empowering to be able to help other people and, and and sort of talk openly about about my struggles um and those things as well and i believe you're quite an advocate for making sure that people do open up and there isn't stigma around mental health yeah so just just uh, comments just popped up here hi rob if you love helping so much can you help me i'll always do my best to help someone so marcia if you want to private message me um if that's a pitch i probably won't um because i get pitched all the time and i can't help everyone but hey, look, if there is anything I could do, then private message me. I always say if anyone's really struggling, private message me. I'll give anyone 15 minutes of my time on the phone. Like I said, as long as they're coming from the right place, because obviously I have to value my time as well. So, yeah, I mean, my dad has bipolar and mm. I've gone through the mill with his ups and downs over the last 15 years. And, you know, I'm quite an emotional guy and you know, maybe there are some small signs and traits of that in me. It's certainly been said of me. Um, so, and I've definitely had a challenging sort of year where we've had mm -hmm. some of our biggest wins, but some of our most difficult times as well, professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. So, um, I try and be really, really open when it comes to, um, mental health, um, you know, and, um, being, I don't really like using the word vulnerable because people are kind of using that as a marketing phrase now. Hey, I'm just going to be vulnerable here. Mm -hmm. You know, I think being honest and honest mm -hmm. means when you're, um, when you're struggling, ask for help. Um, share where you're struggling. Don't, um, what a lot of people do, kids do this all the time. If, if, you know, I don't know if anyone's got children watching, but children who can't communicate how they feel, they'll misbehave. But the misbehavior is covering up, it's a reaction to something they're feeling, shame or resentment or, or, or whatever. And I, I think a lot of human beings do that. They react out and they lash out, but, it's, but they're hurt. And, you know, there's that really brilliant saying, hurt people, hurt people. So I think being vulnerable is being honest and saying, you know what, I'm feeling like quite shameful right now or quite embarrassed or quite lost or a bit of a failure. I don't want to take that out on you, but I'm just sort of sharing how I feel. Um, you know, I'm feeling quite angry right now. I, I don't know why instead of being angry. So I think if we can get better at communicating with how we feel, and, of course, it's no um, secret, is it, that men find it much harder to do that. Although I challenge that to a certain degree because I think there are some men with some feminine energies and I think there's some women with some uh, masculine energies. Of course, yeah. um, and I think it depends on your career and your position in the family. But I, I started therapy 18 months ago um, for practical as well as sort of mindset reasons. Wanted to give it a try. I'd had mentors and coaches but never really thought to get a therapist. Um, and I just shared the whole journey pretty much. I mean, obviously... There's certain really, really deep personal things which I reserve the right not to tell anyone because that's my personal life. 
I don't share religion, politics, marriage advice, stuff like that on my social media because I don't feel qualified. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was just sharing my therapy sessions, trying to, I suppose, lead the way by if I'm struggling or sort of just feeling weak or exposed or um, lost, just be honest about it and ask for help. And I think the biggest thing in society, I see this with a lot of my staff is they're worried about looking stupid or failing or like, you know, being judged or criticized or ridiculed. And so they won't ask for help and they won't be honest where they're struggling. Mm. Um, but, you know, some people say it's best to learn from your mistakes. I think it's best to learn from the mistakes of others. And it's very difficult for you to solve the problems you created and far easier for someone who's transcended those problems to help you solve them, like a therapist or a coach or a mentor or someone who's been there and done it. Mm. Yeah, totally. I think um, what you what you say has got a lot of a lot of weight there, and I I agree with you. But vulnerability has become this buzzword, but actually, just openness and transparency, and the, and there's there's a courage that comes from that. Uh, I, I think I think the biggest challenge that we face, it like you say, is is stigma or or the shame essentially of being able to open up and and, and talk as well. And one of the things, um, oh hi Jay, yeah, how are you, Jay? Thanks for the comment. Uh, it's the rush, man. Great conversation. Love that. <laughs> um, Rob, yeah. So I think I think the openness and, and transparency and, and, and courage to be able to open up and, and speak. Uh, I watched a documentary the other day, have you seen, with, with Freddie Flintoff around his bulimia? And I thought that was absolutely fascinating for a yeah, sports I've person. I've not watched that yet. Um, that's on my list. I watched the one with um, Rio Ferdinand, you know, when he... Oh. He talked about losing his wife and the fact the impact on the family, which is, you know, very moving. I love watching stuff like that. I think the struggle is very human and we all mm. struggle and we perceive that celebrities and influencers, they don't struggle. You know, they they swan through life. Well, the swan is paddling hard under the water, even if it looks graceful, you know, above the water. So I'll watch that one. Yeah, definitely. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found it. I found it really, really interesting. And it was very, um, I think, I think just quite raw, really. I think uh, he, he hadn't gone to a lot of uh, extent about doing research and understanding all the facts and figures, which I think is probably quite common for, for men, particularly with, um, uh, with, with mental health as well. So, um, okay. So with doing what you love, what, what's the thing that keeps you engaged? Cause I think you've retired a couple of times, haven't you? So what, what keeps you coming back? Yeah. Well, I think it's the fifth time. Um, I love to have a little bit of a play with my critics because all my critics are like, he says he's retired, he's not retired. I was very clear when I said I retired that I'm retiring from operational involvement in my training companies to do something else. And it's my prerogative to do whatever I want. And that has been finishing two books, starting another three, doing more interviews, launching the Young Entrepreneurs Summit in collaboration with the Prince's Trust. Um, you know, I'm, I'm helping Gerald Ratner launch his new book, which I co-authored called Reinvent Yourself. So I'm just doing different stuff and it's really fun. Um, and, you know, I think you can do what you love and monetize it. Mm -hmm. You have to um, make some sacrifices along the way, like the artist who does commissions, even though they'd rather not paint for someone else. And with me, I sell courses and products and services. And, um, you know, if if if. If people just gave me money without me having to convince them, I'd take that, of course. But, you know, I had to learn selling and do public speaking and promote myself. You know, like the people who the big um, film and movie stars, you know, it's probably a labor of love for them, isn't it? To go and do all the interviews all over the world, traveling. Um, I remember um, Michael Caine, his autobiography, uh, really good. And he said something along the lines of um, if you get paid a million pound for a film, and I'm sort of 
I'll get the numbers wrong, but he said, if you get paid a million pound for a film, you're getting paid a hundred grand for the film and 900 grand for the promotion of the film. <laughs> so it showed how much promotion they have to do. And that's a labor of love. So mm. I think what you love is learning to find something that you would do anyway, that you're good at, that you're passionate about. And also, you know, making the sacrifices and learning what you need to do to monetize it, make it a business, turn it into a mission, make it scalable um, so that it's not just a hobby. Otherwise, because if it's a hobby, someone else has got to fund it. Whereas if it's yeah, a business, you know, you're funding it. Um, I do think it's possible to love what you do and do what you love. I also think it's really important that you've got to look at your challenges with an upside mindset. I think a lot of people, when they think, oh, I just want to do what I love, what they're really saying is, I want an easy fucking life and I don't want any problems. Well, good luck on that because I think that's a delusional fantasy. Um, and I even, like, I've retired a few times and you get boredom, atrophy, you feel useless and invaluable. That's why I unretire myself usually. Um, so there's a downside to everything. But you know when you're doing something that you love, I, I'll tell you what the real barometer is. It's not the, the fun parts. It's that you're put up with the shit parts. Like, you know, your children, you're put up with the shit because you love them. That's a given. So if, if your business is the same, you put up with the shit because you love it, that's a sign you've got the right passion. Yeah, I got you. Just just on, on the books for a minute, because I think I've, I've actually read all of your books so far, so I'm looking forward to some new ones coming out uh, if, if they're on their way. Um, I, when you spoke earlier about money, um, I read the book Money, or I listened to the book Money when I, when I worked in my corporate job, which I left sort of two, three years ago now, and uh, which the reading and, and listening encouraged me to do over time as I felt more comfortable with doing that because it was quite a big leap for me because I had a family, four young children, uh, wife and everything was on me and it was a nice comfortable corporate job and I was like, no, that's it. Let's uh, let's go and follow, follow my passion. Um, but I remember listening to money and I can, when you mentioned it just then, I remembered it in my head. I was driving, I don't know if you've ever driven that Boston to Skegness drive to the seaside, but my my sales patch used to be there. And right. uh, I remember driving along there and going, you were talking about uh, walking down the road in Peter shouting, I fucking love money. <laughs> and uh, there I was in the car doing it. And uh, yeah. so, which is your favorite book that you've done so far and why? Oh, I think money is my best work. Um, mm. So it's behind me there. There's some translation ones there. Probably my best work because the original version was 250,000 words. In the end, about half of that got published. But it was my deepest researched book. It was, you know, I went from minus 50 grand to millionaire, multimillionaire, decamillionaire. So that was, a you know, a journey that I went through, studied hundreds of millionaires. I've interviewed loads of billionaires on my podcast. So that was probably my greatest body of work. Mm -hmm. um, but the one I think probably will do the most good is called I'm Worth More, because I think if, um, if we can help people with their self-worth, then I think you're going to get better health, you're going to get better wealth, you're going to have more happiness and fulfillment. And I think there's a bit of a pandemic of low self-worth out there mm -hmm. um, yeah. because you know, the critics and the trolls and the haters online are, are common. And because it's everyone's airbrushing themselves and we're all comparing ourselves to other people on social media. And a lot of people are just showing their best side or, you know, or using the vulnerable side for marketing um, and not really showing the reality of social media. Uh, of, sorry, the reality of their life. It's just through a lens on social media. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, that's that's a definitely a bit of a challenge right now. So I wrote the book, I'm Worth More, to help people believe themselves, to prove to them that they're unique, that they're valuable, that they've got a place to stop comparing themselves to others, to appreciate and love themselves for who they are and, and how to do that. 
So money's mm-hmm. probably my best body of work, but I'm worth more is probably my um, the most good uh, yeah. book I've written. One, one of the one, of the, I got a lot of practical support actually from uh, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, and um, that was one of the things that I found is that there are certain things that I'm good at, like like I suppose any business person. There's certain traits that you're good at, and there's certain things that you're not so good at. What you find is you overdevelop the stuff you enjoy doing, whilst ignoring the stuff that maybe you should be focusing on because you don't enjoy doing it. And um, what I found was as I started the business, there were certain things that I'd overdevelop. Uh, however, as I've gone on and progressed, it's become something that I never started with or I never anticipated. And I imagine you see that time and time again, which is why it's so worth going to market with an MVP and, and something that's that's just ready to go. And are you, are you quite a big advocate of that, Rob? Yeah. Um, so, look, you're going to make mistakes. So you might as well make them early when less things will break uh, and there's less to lose. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday on a, on a podcast who's um, got product in 80 countries. He, he produces fitness equipment. Mm-hmm. And, and he put it in a different analogy to, to the way I normally put it, but I'm going to use his. He said, look, if you want to test a product, go and get 10 made. And yeah, you'll pay 200 quid for something that you'll sell for 50. It'll cost you loads um, per unit because you've only made 10 and there's no economies of scale. But you're best making 10 and see if they sell and see if people want them and get a bit of feedback and create a version two than you are to go and make 10,000 because you've got economies of scale and then they not sell. Mm. Um, and that's the analogy of life. You're better to test small, start now, get perfect later and make small iterative mistakes, fail small, fail often and fail forward. Um, and, and, you know, because big mistakes, you know, big mistake in a helicopter, you're dead. Big mistake as a doctor, you're dead. You want to make the small mistake on the dead animal, not a big mistake on a real human being. And I think people are going to have that attitude to social media, their content, business, entrepreneurship. But you've got to get over your fear of failure. You've got to get over your embarrassment and making mistakes. And I think one thing that all my followers know um, I'm kind of cool with is I'll make mistakes publicly and I won't really care. And I'll take the piss out of myself and I won't take myself too seriously. I cock up lives all the time. I stumble over my words. I speak too fast. You know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and the amount of lives I've gone live on, I go, fuck and fuck it and fight again <laughs> or whatever. But you know what? It's real, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's me. And sometimes when I do a, a pre recorded video, it takes me 25 takes. And then I just go and post all 25 takes on social media. Um, yeah. Joe's put here perfect attainable done is better than perfect you can you you actually can't achieve perfection you can strive towards perfection but perfectionism is often a curse i wrote about that in start now get perfect later those that want to be too perfect too soon are actually scared worried about mm. making mistakes and they never start um because they fear ridicule embarrassment and mm. uh, yeah uh, i think often perfection is uh, uh, perfectionism can be a low self-worth uh so mm. it's constant and never-ending improvement testing mm. through mistakes um now that you don't intend to make mistakes but if you're going to make them make them early make them small make them safe mm. definitely i think fear of rejection is a huge thing isn't it particularly with your concept so you you bought you 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 born a concept and you start to develop it and you put some effort into it and all of a sudden there's a fear of actually letting it out into the wild so you just carry on developing it just procrastinate on it and i imagine that's just absolutely shocking mistake to try and make you just got to get out there and do it and learn as you uh, learn as you go and make those mistakes so uh so I think I, um, it, just quick one pete on that yeah. because you mentioned freddie flintoff so i want to re- refer to another documentary okay. ed sheeran's documentary really good loved it 
Mm -hmm. uh, and he said that he was taught by his music teacher. Um, and it's a brilliant part in the documentary. I actually filmed it on my phone and put it on my social media. He said, to be able to be a good songwriter, you've got to first write a load of shit songs. And I just remember, you don't even need to say anything else. To be a really good songwriter, like Ed Sheeran, first you have to write a load of shit songs. So you have to create a few shit products. You have to make a few shit mistakes. But to be really great, you know, to be a great footballer, to be a great artist, you know, every artist probably painted some shit paintings, some experimental ones. So, you know, start now. Don't take yourself too seriously. Put your work out there. Done is better than perfect. Prolific is better than perfect. And you'll find your way and you'll get better as you go. You'll learn on the go. And then what that does is that builds up that muscle of um, you forget, you stop worrying what people think about you. Um, you take more risks. Um, because I think a lot of people have got so much magic in them, but they're not showing the world because they're scared. And imagine the magic we'd all share with each other if we didn't worry about what people thought about us. Imagine, um, you know, the talents we'd be showing the world. Definitely, definitely. I think uh, I think I think that's a, that's a fascinating point. To be fair, because people are are so fearful of of, of mistakes as well. Um, Rob, so tell me a bit about. Um, obviously, you've got a training company as well, and 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 that what we do is like mandatory health and safety related training because that's that's my passion, which I think everyone will probably find a bit weird that I love health and safety, but hey, it's all good, right? But you do a lot of uh, sort of entrepreneurial development and that sort of thing. How important is it that people invest in themselves and make sure that they continue to develop as, as they grow as people? Well, I mean, you might find this interesting coming from a guy who's got hundreds of properties and made millions from it. But I actually believe that the best investment is in yourself, not in an external asset class. The more you learn, the more you earn. Um, so invest in yourself wisely because you pay yourself the best return. Warren Buffett said the best investment he ever made was in public speaking and learning to be a public speaker. So I believe you are your best investment. I believe um, knowledge reduces risk. Yeah, and, and an experience makes you better than somebody else because it gives you intuition. So I think you are the best investment. So invest, and by the way, investing in yourself is, yes, it's courses, it's education, masterminds, mentors, therapists, but it's also who you listen to, who you hang around with, what you watch on YouTube, what you watch on Netflix, as well as the entertaining stuff. Are you watching the educational documentaries and autobiographies? And what you're listening to, fiction or non-fiction, are you learning or are you just escaping? Um, but, yeah, I believe that you are your best asset, your self-talk, you know, the way you talk to yourself, the way you treat yourself, your mindset. Um, these are all – these will all pay you the best return. Yeah, of course. And and as part of doing that, people build the confidence to put themselves out there. And one of the things that I, I kind of struggle with and, and I, I really wanted to ask you about as well because I know you talk a lot about critics, trolls and haters and, and people – putting people down and i must admit I've, I've i've maybe had one person be a bit negative so i've obviously not pushed myself out there enough just yet um but there's people out there who are also doing the the, the negative thing around knocking people who are putting themselves out there so the contrepreneur thing and and how how do you find that rob and and what do you think to that sort of people being deliberately negative about what others are doing well i think i've got a balanced view on it so i'm going to put um, both sides of the equation on. I think schemers, scammers, and rip-off merchants, they need to be, um, you know, they need to be brought down, don't they? They need to be exposed. Mm -hmm. um, and if there weren't those critics, um, trolls and haters are different, but if there weren't mm -hmm. those critics, the regulators or the people holding our industries to standards, then it'd be the freaking Wild West. Mm -hmm. The problem is they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And anyone who does anything like the thing that they don't like, they call them a schemer or a scammer or a entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're often doing is bringing their own ulterior motives, baggage from the past, etc. So um, I don't mind having critics. I don't mind having trolls. I don't mind having haters. I know it's all part of the game. The more of them I've got, I've got 10x more, or maybe 100x number of followers and fans. Um, and I know the more critics, trolls and haters I get, I'll get one of them and I'll get 100 new fans and followers. So it's just all exponential and all part of my growth. Um, so I'm cool with it. It keeps me humble. It keeps me, um, you know, accountable. Let's be honest. If I had no critics, trolls or haters, I'd get ahead of myself. I'd say I'd be loose. I'd be flippant. Every, anyone would. You'd relax. You'd get cocky and complacent. So you need critics. You'd ideally not want trolls and haters, but you get trolls and haters because you don't listen to the critics. So you don't listen to the critics, get a troll. Don't listen to the troll, get a hater. Because it's just a constant reminder. It's the universe giving you the feedback. So I get all that and it's necessary and I'm okay with it. And I actually have quite a decent relationship with a lot of my critics and, you know, have a little bit of banter with them and all that. But on the other side, um, most of those are just using that as marketing to grow their own YouTube channels, to sell their own products and their own endorsements, which is quite frankly um, the lowest form of marketing. It's scum marketing. They're not creative enough to position their own products and services and benefits and uniqueness. If you attack enough people in the end, you'll get attacked by a load of people because that's the cost of attacking people. Mm. Ironically, they bitch and moan and whinge and whine and cry when they get trolled and hated, um, even though that's their profession. They don't know any other way to sell or market themselves other than to knock everyone else down. Um, And yeah, I, I prefer to not bash people along my journey. You don't need to stand on someone else's head to elevate yourself to success, you can lift other people up. So mm-hmm. I guess it probably depends on whether you believe you have a scarcity or an abundant mindset um, and how you feel about yourself. If you've had a lot of love and you love yourself, you're not going to hate on others. If you've had a lot of hate and not a lot of love, you're going to hate on others. If you've been schemed and scammed, you might, you know, some people feel that like they're the white knight of their industry trying to save everyone, the scammers. They may have been scammed themselves, so they may be hurt. They mm-hmm. may have, a, you know, a, a difficult past. Um, you know, they may be manifesting outward some of their own pain. And I try and understand that where I can. But, you know, mm-hmm. some of them are just trying to make a living, you know, like, you know, like, um, all my, I, I sort of like, you know, you see the pictures of the rhinos or um, and you've got the little birds that are on top of the rhinos eating the ticks off the rhinos. Um, well, some critics are like that, really. Let's be honest. That's what they're really doing. Yeah, got you. I think um, when, when I first started out, I, I, I don't know whether James would be watching, but I've, I've had a, a bit of help from James, who's the landlord at the, the building where I rent, rent my, rent my uh, premises off my training room. And uh, he goes to me, why are you getting, why are you getting caught up with tiddlers? bottom feeders just you know you're better than that just rise above it and that that always sticks with me because it's quite it's quite easy to get caught up with that you know so um with regards to fifth area for you which was marketing i I just wanted to to ask you a bit because this is a big thing that's always challenged me when you when you try to be all things to all people with marketing and and often that doesn't really work and it's something that i'm learning a lot about and i wanted to ask you directly niche to niche with your marketing or to to keep it broad and and to continue to grab people what what's what sort of is the better method would you say i think if i had to give you a binary answer it would be start with a a a hyper niche Mm -hmm. expand to a super niche expand to a niche and then expand more broad as you get more successful so amazon what was it for many years of its initial life a bookstore yeah you can't start being an everything store you can't Mm -hmm. start being a bookstore own that space and then grow so they went from bookstore to everything store 
Um, you know, what did Apple start with? Well, actually, too many products. And then Steve Jobs came in and got rid of a load of them and focused on the iPhone and created another product. Another product. So I'll probably say start in a narrow niche, hyper niche, and then widen as you get more successful or you own your niche or you want growth. And then you can expand. Once you've got millions of followers, hundreds of thousands of customers, then you can sell them other stuff. So you could be the Procter & Gamble or the Coca-Cola of this world, buying up other brands, having multiple brands like LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, who own loads of loads of brands. But they've been, you know, these companies have been in business 100 plus years. So start with a, a clear hyper niche and expand as you grow and get more successful. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And I, I get one final question from me, if that's okay, Rob. Sure. Uh, so over the past uh, year or two years, we've we've got to the point where we've grown our business to, to, to sort of six figures. And I'd like to grow it to seven figures, but that growing pain is, is sort of a bit of a bit of a challenge between hitting there we've got uh five members of staff now in the team which i think i'm really pleased with and that is absolutely fantastic but how do i get it up to the next level what what would you say is the best way to to try and grow that business from there upwards okay so there are many things that could be stopping you going from six to seven seven to eight or eight to nine figures um so what i'll do is i'll just list what some of them could be um it could be that your product is too niche Mm -hmm. um, it could be that you need to expand your marketing. It could be that you need to improve your messaging. It could be that you need to reduce the friction of transacting with you. You might be too small or low or geographically restricted, or it might be difficult to pay, you know, or, um, you know, use, use your product and service. It might be that you just don't have a, a, a big enough name yet. It might just be that you've not been doing it long enough and you just need to keep doing what you're doing, but for longer. You might want to leverage social media a lot. You know, you might want to build your personal brand a lot more with a podcast and a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, etc. Um, you might need to start investing some of your profits into spending on marketing. A lot of six-figure businesses, what do they say to me all the time? Like a badge of honor, you know, they wear it and they say, oh, I don't do any marketing. I don't spend any money marketing. I just get referrals. Well, now it's time to spend money on marketing so you can go from six to seven figures. Mm -hmm. So there's a list of about 10 things that, you know, it could it could be that you need to outsource your admin and get more staffing. Um, it could be that you need to launch a new product because you've sweat the size of your existing product. Mm -hmm. could be to sell more to existing customers. could be that you need to acquire new ones. Mm -hmm. There's so many different ways to grow. Definitely. I, I'd, I'd got to I'd got to that point where well, recently where I'd become so busy. It was about focusing on the high value activities and just reducing down and reducing down um, what, what I did to, to make sure that I can then grow and, and develop and, and move forward. So, Rob, I really appreciate you coming on a half dozen things podcast. It's been awesome. Are you able to finish with your strap line, please? Yes. So um, my podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. So you can find me uh, anywhere online. My name's Rob Moore. Uh, I want to thank Pete and um, just do a shout out for your podcast one more time, Pete. I appreciate it, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, my podcast is a half dozen things and it's Pete Rushmore. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and my business is Flagship Partners. Thank you very much, Rob. My pleasure. And if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.